All right, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is stirring on my heart, and so we'll see where that goes even into the new year. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to go to the end of the book. We're kind of in a two-week series. If you were with us last week, we looked at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, in a series we've entitled Faithful. And I've asked that question, right? Is God faithful? And, and immediately, right, we, we, we will cry out, yes, of course, he is faithful. And then the question I asked last week was this. When everything around you is breaking down, is he still faithful? Like it, it, in a, on a Wednesday morning at three in the morning on your knees with tears because you've prayed for something for years, can you still trust that he's faithful? And what I want you to see this morning is a connection. What I want you to see this morning is I want you to kind of visualize as you walked in, you saw these lights, right? We're preparing for the Christmas season and already people are putting up lights. There was a rule in my home that you did not do anything Christmas until you got through Thanksgiving. And that was part of like our tradition. We would go to my grandmother's house. We would have our huge Thanksgiving dinner with my dad's family, uh, my uncle's family. Spanky was there and we would have our huge Thanksgiving dinner. And then after Thanksgiving, we'd clean up and we'd set up the Christmas tree because now we move into Christmas. And we always had to go to like the, the, the back area of the house in rural North Carolina, like back in their dungeon, not a dungeon, but their basement. But it was kind of like a dungeon because it was very sketchy. My grandma had bottles, canned stuff everywhere. I don't know what was going on. But anyway, we would go get the Christmas tree and we'd bring it up. So I need to ask, I want to I get, get a feel. How many pre-Thanksgiving decorators do we have here? Raise your hand. You don't care? You want to put it up before Thanksgiving? Wow. Okay. How many after Thanksgiving? Not, not until after Thanksgiving, right? How many all year? Don't raise your hand. We will shame you. Don't you do it. <laughs> you should not do that. Not all year long. Anyway, and so what I want you to see this morning is a connection. We're going to look at these three verses. I've asked a trivia question before. I got in trouble with this. Uh, I remember when I was uh, in college, no, actually seminary, uh, I had just come to a Bible study, and someone had told me, my actual youth pastor was teaching the Bible study, he said, the shortest verse in the Bible. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? And he shared 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, with two words, rejoice always. Well, that was one, but the other one was John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And so I thought I'd be smart in seminary, and so my professor asked that question. I'm like, this is one answer that I know. It's one of the only answers that I know. I'm going to blurt out John eleven thirty five, and he shamed me. Because that's the shortest verse in the English, but in the original language, the shortest verse in the Bible is what we find here. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to connect some Christmas lights. I broke my rule this past week because my son is seven and he's all about lights right now. And he's like, I want to go to the holiday lights at the beach. And I'm like, son, we can't do that till after Thanksgiving. He just looked at me with this look of, what are you talking about? Like, it's open. Like, why can't we go until I, and I'm like, son, we, and so I broke my rule. And this past Friday night, we went, we were one of those cars. And I remember, I waited tables at my Mazda's right there on the boardwalk. And I remember thinking the weekend before Thanksgiving, don't these people know that we haven't celebrated Thanksgiving yet? And I was one of those cars this past weekend, driving through with my son hanging out of the sunroof of our car with police coming by. But anyway, that's a different story. And so we we enjoyed the holiday lights. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to think of lights. Some of you this weekend after Thanksgiving, you're going to go outside and you're going to start putting Christmas lights together. And you're going to start connecting strands. And what you're going to find is you're going to get very frustrated. You're going to get very discouraged. So I want you to think about this verse as you're doing that. As you take the first strand, you plug it in, and there's lights. There's a power source. But then you come to the next strand, 
And sometimes it doesn't always connect. Well, it connects, but you don't have the lights flowing through. So what do you have to do? You have to tinker with kind of where, where's the, what's the problem, where's the lights? And then I want you to think of three strands of lights this morning as we look at three verses because they all connect. And if you connect them, it leads to something that we're celebrating this week with our families. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me in reverence reading God's word. The title of the message this morning is Rejoice. And we're gonna look at three verses of scripture, commands. I want you to hear that. These are three commands, not suggestions from the Lord. These are three commands. And so what does that mean? It means if we're not doing it, we're being disobedient is what it means. If we're not in it, it means we're being sinful. Like, let's just be real. What is the opposite side of a command? It's a disobedience. And so let's look at this, not just as a suggestion of, oh, maybe I should try to live this way. No, this is a command given to us in the authority of God's word. And it's three verses of scripture, beginning in verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, two words, second shortest, in the original language, my professor would be proud, although I don't care. Verse 16, rejoice, say it with me. Let's try it again. Rejoice. Hey, some of you walked in this morning going, what? Are you kidding? Do you not know what's going on? Do you not know what I'm dealing with? Do you not know the pain? I mean, let's just be real. The struggle in my life, always? It'd be better if it said most of the time, but don't say that. So here's the first strand of lights. Rejoice always. Let's now connect the second strand, verse 17. Say it with me. Pray without. Oh, man, what in the world? Verse 18. It leads to the third strand. And everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a command that we cannot uphold in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may, may we start there. May we recognize that what you've given us in scripture is beyond what we're capable of doing ourselves. And yet so many times, Lord, we find ourselves discouraged because we're operating in our own strength. And so, Lord, this morning, we pray that as we take the truth of these passages, Lord, that it would be your spirit in us that would go before us. Lord, we know that that requires surrender, and that can be the hardest thing for us to do as human beings, to lay our struggles, to lay our lives, to lay our future to lay our dreams, our ambitions down before you and say, God, I trust you. It is yours. Lord, we know that is the starting point. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray for those who've walked in this room, those who are watching right now, those who will watch later. Lord, I know that the enemy is countering everything that you are speaking to us. And so, Lord, may, by the power of the resurrection of Jesus, there be victory in our lives. We pray it, we ask it in the name of Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what we find here again is something, the word always, I've, I've wrestled with that. Because let's be real, we have seasons in our lives. There are some of you in this morning that just, you're in a season, and you've been in that season. And so to hear those words, rejoice, okay, I can rejoice, but rejoice really always, like rejoice when my life has been altered. Rejoice when the person I've devoted myself to for, for, for a covenant relationship and marriage steps out on me. Rejoice. Rejoice when I've lost my job and I'm looking at my kids going, how in the world do I now fulfill the, the responsibilities that I have? Rejoice in that. Rejoice when you get a report from a doctor that all of a sudden sends you sideways. You're telling me that in that moment, I'm, su I'm supposed to rejoice. So what we have to do is we have to go underneath this. Like we have to understand what's happening here and understand that this is not an isolated command. Like I think about even the Apostle Paul, like when he's writing the book of Philippians to the church of Philippi, where is he at? He's in jail. 
And yet, if you remember, some of you were here when we went through a short series in the book of Philippians. We entitled it Joy. Because the entire message is centered upon the subject of joy. And here's this guy in prison, locked up, not for doing the wrong thing, but for preaching the gospel. And the whole letter is consumed with joy. You find passages like this, Philippians 4.4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Here's the student in prison, writing to the people at Philippi. Rejoice always. And then he follows it up and says, Again, I will say, rejoice. If you didn't get it the first time, let me remind you again, God commands you, to rejoice, but we need to ask this question. Like, there has to be some exceptions, right? There has to be some exceptions to this command. There's not. I want you to hear passages like this. First Peter 4:12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, and there's some of you here this morning in a fiery trial, which is to try you, as those some strange things that has happened to you. And so right away, Peter says, Do not look at anything random. The first thing he is saying is, listen, the reason you can rejoice is because nothing is random in our lives. That if something just happens, he says, don't just look upon that as something that you've stumbled upon. Well, let's look at what he says next. But rejoice, now look at what he says, to the extent of your suffering. Wait, what did you say, Peter? You're telling me that to the extent of my suffering, I should be rejoicing? That if my suffering is all the way out here, then my rejoicing should be all the way out there? How is that possible? Because you know that there's a purpose behind it. If you look at the end of that verse, what does he say? He says that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory was revealed, that you may also be glad with what? Exceeding joy. Not just with joy. Notice what he says here, with exceeding joy. That word exceeding means to an advanced or unusual degree. It's not just even normal joy. That even in the height of your suffering, there should be joy that goes to the same exact extent. Let's look at this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. It says this, rejoice always. Two words. In the original language, it's flipped. And so in the original language, the emphasis is on the front. The adverb is placed first. And so the original language, it says this, at all times. And here's the emphasis, at all times. And then it says, be rejoicing. In the darkest times, like one of the things I love about this is what, that, that, that God never says, do as I say, not as I do. Like we have a God who came to us and modeled all of these things. Like think about that. Like we have a savior that we can look upon and go, okay, he commands it and we see him walking in it. Like you want to talk about joy. There's never been someone who's had more joy than the Lord Jesus Christ because he was without sin. There's never been someone closer to the father than the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in such fellowship with the father that his joy could not be touched even when he was going to the cross. And so he says to his disciples, I think about this. What was the darkest time in the disciples' lives? I would argue it was the last week in the life of Jesus. They've walked with him for three and a half years. They've they've loved him, right? I mean, he is their teacher, their rabbi, but he is their friend. And he's getting ready to be their savior. And if you've ever struggled with the love of God, all you got to go is to the last week of Jesus' life. If you knew you were going to die on Friday in an excruciating death, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I'd be concerned with anyone else. But yet what you find Jesus in the last week of his life is he's more concerned about his disciples than what he's getting ready to go through for them, for us. His heart is broken for them because he knows that their heart is getting ready to be broken. And you see that in the upper room. We're going to gather tonight around the Lord's Supper. And at six o'clock, we invite you to to gather with us. And we're going to read some of those passages. But this was a dark moment in the life of the disciples because now he's just laying it all out to them. He's like, guys, this is what's getting ready to happen. 
And you guys are going to experience pain. Listen to some of these verses. John 16, 6. He says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's looking beyond the surface. He sees the heart of these men, and he knows that they are broken because of what he's telling them. You go a little bit further in John 16, verse 20 through 22, you'll find words like these. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. But what does he say? Here's the promise on the other side of that sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned into what? And then look at the illustration that he gives, ladies. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Did you, did you have sorrow when your hour came? We can't relate to that. But I'm sure you could say amen. Can I get an amen? Anyway, let's keep going. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. Now, you may look at that and say, stop, I still remember the anguish. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you completely forget the anguish. He's talking about the measure in which they're compared. She no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that now a human being is there. That, yeah, there was pain and there was sorrow and there was anguish, but compared to what was coming, compared to what arrived, there was no comparison. Look at verse 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow as he's looking at the heart of these disciples, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy, grab a hold of this this morning, no one will take it from you. Like this type of joy, rejoice always, really rejoice always, but it goes beyond just being happy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based upon your circumstances. Happiness is based upon happenstance. Joy is not dependent upon anything that's happening in your life. And you want to see crazy joy? Listen to some of these verses. Luke 6, verse 22, he says this, blessed are you when men hate you. Let's keep going. When they exclude you. Have you ever been hated? You ever been excluded? When they revile you and cast your name as evil for the name of Jesus. In verse 23, rejoice in that day. Not only rejoice, leap for joy. Leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great. The measure of your pain and sorrow is nothing compared to what is coming. And so you lift your eyes to beyond your circumstances and you say, yeah, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's anguish, but there's a new day coming. For like manner, the fathers did to the prophets. Here's another one. You know this one, the purpose behind it. James 1, verse 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Any of you in a trial this morning? He says, count it all joy, not because you're in a trial. Count it all joy for the work that God's doing in the trial, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing, that you may be, what he says, mature. He doesn't say rejoice for the trial, but rejoice in the trial. Because you know it's not random, as Peter says. Whether you caused it or not, and there's many trials that we cause ourselves. I can relate. There are many trials that you deal with the pain of your life because of what you did. And yet even in that, he says, no, that's, you think I'm not even sovereign over your bad decisions? I'm sovereign over your good decisions, your bad decisions. I'm sovereign over it all. Romans 8, 28 says, for all things, right? For all things, not just the things you do well, not just the things you do in obedience, for all things work to the good of those who love God. So therefore, we rejoice that even in the pain and the suffering, as he looks at those disciples, knowing that they're, they're hurting, there's joy on the other side of it. And so here's the first strand of lights. We gotta connect our joy. And you have to understand this, this joy is different and unique to the Christian. 
If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, understand I'm speaking of something you can't identify with. I'm just telling you. Because what we talk about is this. I remember this phrase in seminary, common grace. What is common grace? Common grace is given to all humankind. We are all creatures born in the image of God. Common grace means God allows us to experience happiness, every single person, whether you know Christ or not. But it's delusional. Because what happens is this, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes sends us to say, I want this and I want that. And if I get it, I'll get happiness. And it's delusional because many times we never get it, but sometimes we do. And sometimes we reach that point. And I believe the Lord looks at us and goes, hey, is it doing for you? Is it did it to me? Is it doing for you what, it thought, what you thought it would? It never does. Because we weren't created for that. We were created for something more than that. We were just created to gather the shiny objects of this world. We were created to have a relationship with the creator of this world. And anything else leaves you lacking. And so he says, rejoice always. That as a child of God, even in your trials, even in your struggles, he's sovereign and there is a work that he's doing behind it. What does this joy require? Number one, to know him. And here's my gospel presentation. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is unique to those who have. It comes to a place of brokenness of number one, realizing who you are. You're a wretched sinner. By nature, bless you, by choice. You're a sinner. You gotta come to that realization first that you are undeserving of anything because he's holy and he's perfect and he's without sin and yet we are the opposite. And then to come to a place of all, my goodness, in spite of me, Jesus, the God didn't just say, hey, do as I do, not do as I say, not as I do. He actually came and did it. And he lived a life that I could never live, a life of perfection, of sinlessness that would meet the standards of a holy God. Therefore, when he died, he died as a substitute. That's why there's no other religion because unless it's Jesus, you don't get there. It's only in Christ because he's the only one who came and fulfilled God's standard of holiness and then therefore died in our place. Therefore, when we ask and surrender and say, I profess faith in this one, there's a substitute, there's an exchange. He takes my sins, I take his righteousness, I now stand clean before holy God. If you've never done that, whether you're in this room or watching, this doesn't pertain to you. It's only those who have come to that place of surrender. And let me tell you, you can... Fight it all you want. I've been there. And you can think that the things of this world will do it. It won't. It may for a little while. It won't. What does it require of the believer? It requires obedience. The first thing that can rob us of our joy is sin. When we allow sin to come back into our lives, I think about what John says in 1 John 1, 4. These things are right to you that your joy may be full. I'm giving you these instructions so that your joy may be full. All right, here we do. Here we go. First strand of lights. Rejoice always. Now, we got to go in and tinker with each individual light bulb. I'm going to give you six individual light bulbs. You got a pen, you got a pad, I see them. If you're at home, if you want to go back and read this one, I'm going to give you six things that every day, if you want to say, I struggle with this, I struggle with joy, I struggle with rejoicing, I'm going to give you six fixed things that you can put your mind upon that will lead you to rejoicing always. Here we go. Number one, first light bulb in the first strand of lights is this. We rejoice because of the unchanging nature of God. God is the same today as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. He will not change. We do not serve an emotional God. So regardless of what you do today or tomorrow, he's not going to say, I love you more. I love you less. His love is perfect. His love is complete. Can I get an amen? There's joy in that. 
There's joy in knowing and looking at the attributes of God and going, that can't change. He is good. That can't change. There's joy in knowing that. That his love for me is not dependent upon my faithfulness. That his love for me is not dependent upon my mistake I may make tomorrow. His love is still there. That's joy. Number two, the finished work of Christ. You want to rejoice always? You rest in the fact that you're not working for your salvation. Your salvation is complete by the one who died and rose again. You want joy? Know that when you wake up in the morning, if you get hit by a bus, if you're in Christ, your salvation is safe. There's joy in that. Number three, a little light bulb, the Holy Spirit that he has given us. You want to rejoice? Rejoice in the fact that the presence of God lives in you in this moment. Rejoice in the fact that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Even the one that you've devoted your life to, if they step out on you, you got one who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. I go before you. I put a hedge behind you. There is joy in that. A teacher, a comforter, a guide. The fact that Jesus would look at his disciples and say, it's better for you? What? It's better for you that I go away? I've always been intrigued by that. What do you mean? We're walking with you. We see you. And yet he says, no, I'm not going to stand beside you. I'm going to live in you, in my Holy Spirit. There's joy in that when you claim that in the morning. To know that, hey, I'm stepping out today and I'm not stepping out on my own, Lord. I'm going to take this person out at work. And so I need to back up and surrender so that it's your spirit, not my flesh. Can I get an amen? Amen. I know y'all ain't got nobody like that in your life, but you know what I'm talking about. Number four, here's the fourth light bulb, the blessings he's already given you. Just look around. You want joy? Just look around. That will put your eyes up. Here's the fifth light bulb. His sovereignty. That he is in control, even in the chaos of our world right now. You want joy? It's to not think and hope, but to know that God is sitting upon his throne in your life. There's joy in that. All right, number six, and the future blessings to come. You want joy? Set your eyes on what is to come. You want joy? That's what he says to those disciples. He says, you're hurting and you're in pain and there's sorrow, but there's joy in the morning. Six light bulbs in your strand to rejoice Always, all right? Second strand of lights. We got it connected. This is the part where you get discouraged. This is the part where you say bad words. We're going to now go to the second strand of lights, all right? Here we go. We got to make sure that it flows. What is the next one? Look at what he says in verse 17. First Thessalonians 15, or 5. Rejoice always. And now we come to the second strand. Here it comes. Pray without ceasing. So you're praying without ceasing. You get in that car and you're like, Lord, my, 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 my mind goes crazy on the interstate. I don't know about y'all, but that's where I can fall very quickly. So, so Lord, even before I hit the interstate, I'm talking to you. Lord, I'm getting ready to go home and my marriage is struggling. I'm talking to you. There's no intermission. This is the second connection here. But understand, sometimes our prayers can get very selfish. I don't know about you. What I mean by that is I can make it all about me. Where I'm like, Lord, okay, bless me, protect me, guard my family, protect Tristan, protect Amber, you know, bless our church, bless me, 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 me. And so we even need a guide in how we pray. Second strand of lights, we're going to look at nine light bulbs very quickly. You ready? You got a pen? You got a paper? Here's the motivations in which we should pray. If you want your light to connect, if you want your light to shine in a dark world, if you want it to be bright, even in your darkest times, rejoice always. You got the six reasons that are fixed, cannot change. Now here we go. 
Pray without ceasing. What are we to pray for? Number one, the glory of God. When Jesus was asked, teach us how to pray, what does he say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You want to see your strand connect? Start your prayer life with God. My life today, I desire to bring you glory. Watch what will happen. Watch the brightness of that light. When you start with not God deliver me, not God protect me, but God may your glory be seen in my suffering. You want to see a bright light? Start there. Number one, the glory of God. Number two, your fellowship with God. And there's verses connected to this. I'm going to give them to you. Number, the, the first one was Matthew 6, 9. That's the Lord's prayer of the glory of God. The second one, the fellowship of God, is David's prayer in Psalm 63, 1, where he says, God, you are my God. What does he say? Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. You want your light to shine? Wake up in the morning with a desire to know him more and let that be your prayer. My flesh longs for you. Have you ever been there? Not my flesh longs for my goals and my dreams and my aspirations, but my flesh longs for you. You want to see a bright light shine? Number three, praying for God's wisdom. We haven't even got to ourselves yet. We are praying for God's glory. We are praying in the fellowship of God. Now we're praying for God's wisdom. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach. All right, now we come to ourselves. Number four, pray for your daily needs. This is in your quiet time in the morning going, Lord, here's, 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 give me this day my daily bread. And you lay it before the Lord. All right, another lie here we're gonna check. Number five, God's deliverance. There's some of you this morning that just need to be praying in God's deliverance each day. God, you see me, you know me, deliver me. If it be your will, I want you to have glory. I need your wisdom. See, you're praying in these lanes. I need you to meet my needs. Lord, deliver me. Psalm 21, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Let me give you another one. Psalm 4.1, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Number six, for the forgiveness of sin. And on that, to be freed from guilt. You want some motivations in your prayers? You want your light to shine bright? Lord, search me, as David would say. If there's sin there, reveal it to me because it dims my light. You want your joy to be taken? Let sin come back into your life and let it stay there. Look at David. What did he pray? God, restore unto me what? The joy of my salvation. Why did it go? Because he had committed adultery. He had basically committed murder. He had tried to hide his sins. Therefore, the exact consequences was poof. There goes his joy. So this is the part where we say, Lord, and now free me from guilt. Free me on the backside of that when the enemy comes and starts kicking mud. And I don't know about you, he does that to me. Hey, hey, remember, Lord, forgive me of my sin, free me of guilt. Let's go to number seven. For those who are lost, you wanna see your light shine? Start praying for unbelievers. Start praying that your light would be shown in darkness, that it wouldn't just be about you and your family, but that you would have concern for souls that are dying and going to hell. Start praying in that lane. Watch how bright that light will shine. Number eight, I'm just gonna give you two more for your spiritual growth. And I'm gonna give you a passage here, Colossians 1.9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with knowledge. Here's Paul praying for their spiritual growth. And then finally, and it leads us to our final strand, thanksgiving. You want your light to shine, and we're going to move right now to verse 18. Lord, make me thankful in all things. 
Because the clear sign in scripture of someone who does not know the Lord is an unthankful heart. It leads us now to the last strand of lights. Look at what he says here in verse 18. Rejoice always, and I can give you these verses. If you want these verses, contact us. There are verses that go to every one of these prayers. There are verses that go to all the the lights of joy. And so this is something that we can come back and give to you. But let's move now to verse 18. He says, rejoice always, verse 16, command. He says, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Let it be not an activity, but, but may it be your life. Or may it not just be something you do off to the side, but may it be your life. Pray without ceasing. And then here it is, in everything, in everything, Give thanks. And the phrase in everything means all that occurs in our lives. And again, I said it before, I'll say it again. It doesn't mean thankful for all things, but it means thankful in all things. You're not thankful for the trial. You're not thankful for the pain, but you're thankful that the Lord has you in it because there's a work he's doing in it. And it all comes back to Romans 8, 28. I don't know about you, but this is a passage I have to consistently put my eyes upon. And we know that all things, there's a connection there to the all and everything, give thanks. There's a connection there back now to Romans 8, 28. All things, how are we thankful? Because we know that all things, how can we be thankful in the all? Because we know that all things work together for the good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm gonna give you two more verses. Listen to this, Psalms 145, nine. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his words. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And then the last part of that verse in verse 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't miss that. This is. This is refers to the commands. Yes, rejoice, pray, give thanksgiving. Yeah, this is the will. I also believe that this is is connected to the moment you're in. This is the will of God. Think about that. That where you're sitting right now is not random. The enemy's telling you it is. It's not. How can we rejoice and pray and give thanks? Because we know that the place God has us is the place God has us. Whether we brought it on ourselves or whether he brought it on himself, he's got us where he wants us. And there's a unique work that he wants to do in the moment. This is. This is, what is your this is this morning? What is your this is? And have you connected the lights even in the pain? I will rejoice because these lights are shining bright. The unchanging character of God, the finished work of Christ, his spirit lives in me. The blessings he's already given me, the blessings to come, that's not gonna change by what comes on Monday. I'm rejoicing, can I get an Amen. And I'm praying, and I'm praying in these lanes. I'm praying for God's glory, and I'm praying for those who don't know the Lord, and I'm praying for wisdom, and I'm praying that he would draw. I'm praying in these lanes because I'm talking to him. Let people at a stoplight think you're crazy because you're just talking to the Lord. Talk to him all day long. There's nothing that brings more joy to my heart when my son just comes to me and says, you know what, I don't really want anything. I just want to talk to you. And I think about how many times the Father just desires for us. Do not come and say, this is what I want, this is what I need. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to talk to you. And what does that lead to? Man, just, that's a thankful heart. And a thankful heart is unique and it shines bright. And when those three strands of lights are connected, it is the most tacky Christmas lights that you will ever see. 
They stand out. It's a world that drives by your house and goes, what in the world? Put that picture up. Can you put that picture up? Put it up. Something like that. (laughs) Where the world takes notice and goes, that's not normal. It's not. Take it off. It's not. That was Pastor Dave's house last year. It's not normal. (laughs) I'm just kidding. And then we can say it's Jesus. And Jesus doesn't change. And I'm in a mess. And I'm in a struggle. My Jesus doesn't change. Every head bowed in every Romans 8, 28, man. I don't know what your all things is this morning. It's not a random thing that you're here. It's not a random thing you're watching. It's not a random, none of it is random. What does it require? Number one, for you to know. What does that require? The hardest thing, (laughs) surrender. The hardest thing to the human nature. To say, I give up my rights. My rights to my life is the hardest thing. My dreams, my ambitions, what I think will bring me happiness. Lay that down. How could I not? When I see myself for who I am, a sinner, a sinner by nature, yes, but a sinner by choice. And yet I then see a Savior, a God who's not far away, but a God who came. We're getting ready to celebrate that in the next four weeks. For me, for us, as a baby, a helpless child, God, in that form, we want to talk about humility. We want to talk about laying down your rights. That's what he did. And then he lived what we couldn't do, perfection. No sinful act, no sinful thought. For 33 years, no sin that he might be a lamb that would be sacrificed. If you've never come to that place, again, whether you're sitting here in the room or you're watching, man, this is between you and the Lord. There are no magic words. There are no magic prayers. This is simply a heart that acknowledges their sins, turns from their sins, and by faith, as the Bible says, professes Jesus. It just says, I believe. I believe in the one who came. I can't see it. I can't prove it. But my heart is stirring and my heart is beating. And so by faith, I just say, I believe in this one who came and lived and died. And I believe he rose again. And it's beyond what I can comprehend, but I believe. And the authority of God's word, the Bible says that the Lord saves us and then he indwells us with his spirit. And now is the lifelong journey, the lifelong journey. Now hear me believers of making us less like we used to be. God's goal is not our comfort. God's goal is our holiness. And he'll use anything to draw you to him, to make you more like Jesus. And we can either be in that moment kicking and screaming, complaining, or we can lay ourselves down and say, Lord, I don't want to miss this unique work you're doing in my heart and on the other side of this. I want to be different. After all this COVID mess and everything, I want to be different. 
don't want to be the same. I want to see you in a unique way, experience you. I want my light to be tacky. My joy will shine. My desire for you will shine. And therefore, my thanksgiving will naturally shine. Listen, this begins on the throne each morning. And it's either you or him. Let's just make it real simple. Every day, it's either you or him. And you can start at eight with him and at nine, it be you. our lives with him on the throne or do we live our lives with ourselves? It's really what it comes down to. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're just going to close our service at this time. Please know I speak for all of our pastors. I speak for all of our staff and leaders. If there's ever anything we can do for you. If you just simply want to come in and say, man, I'm struggling with this or I don't know about this or help me understand this. That's what, that's what God's called us to. I can honestly say I've been on both sides, and I'm not proud of that. Grew up in a Christian home, was saved at a young age. The truth was lived before me. And I thought I could still find it outside. And the Lord allowed me to go through some tough situations. And there were times that he allowed me to get what I thought would do it. And in that moment, I was the most empty that I'd ever been. This is your journey, and the Lord's in it with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we have a God who modeled it, who lived it. Every one of these things we've talked about this morning, all we have to do is just go to Scripture and look at Jesus. And so, Lord, may that be our desire each day is to seek you, to draw near to you, because your word tells us that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And by the power of the resurrection, there's nothing that the enemy can do that when a child of God calls upon the name of Jesus, seeks the name of Jesus, seeks the word of God in the authority of the resurrection, there is nothing that the enemy can do, but he does everything he can to keep us from doing that. So may the distractions of this world, the pain of our lives not keep us from doing that. And as we connect the strands, may our lights shine bright darkest season and in the darkest places. May our light shine. Pray it we ask in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday morning.